This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning. Welcome to Resource Centre. This is Audrey Raj. On the show today, we're going to be talking about the next big development for businesses. ESG. Now, while the topic remains high on the agenda of Asia-Pacific companies in a post-pandemic era, with some firms elevating ESG conversations to the boardroom and initiating strategy for compliance, only a small percentage have actually developed ESG frameworks and procedures rigorous enough for the demands of today's economy. In line with that, we have online with us today Michelle Fayen, Managing Director of Metric Stream for the Asia-Pacific region, and Metric Stream are specialists in integrated risk management and governance, risk and compliance. And Michelle is here to talk to us about a bunch of things, including how improved employee satisfaction contributes to ESG compliance, the benefits of incorporating ESG in boardroom discussions, as well as delivering actionable insights for an effective ESG strategy. Michelle, welcome to Resource Center. Hi, Audrey. Good morning to you. Happy to be to be here. So, uh, Michelle, before we get started, maybe you can um, talk to us about the rising ESG hype. You know, why ha- why was the pandemic a pivotal event for environmental, social, and governance uh, in the Asia Pacific region, or or was this a long time coming? I think you know ESG has been you know something that has been in the making for quite some time, right? Because as we are all aware of climate changes, and specifically when we talk about ESG, right, in the APEC region, the emphasis is, I would say, still based on our experience on the sustainability and climate aspects of uh, of ESG. All of us have been, you know, for many years, been aware of the environmental challenges that is uh, facing uh, the globe. Mm. And I would say, you know, that has kind of accelerated uh, indeed, as you mentioned, you know, during the during the pandemic. I think the pandemic has raised the awareness that, you know, if we don't act based on certain threats that's facing humanity, right, if we don't act on it, uh, you know, fast enough, it might be too late. And I think definitely in the, the, the epidemic has uh, kind of if you want to call it, let uh, accelerate it, right? The ESG awareness. Um, and then obviously, as we all get a little bit more conscious about, you know, the environment, um, you know, some of us might be investors in certain companies, right? We would expect uh, based on our own values, right? That companies make ESG responsible uh, business practices. Um, that's something I think that has definitely kind of uh, had a very big impact, right? Right on a global scale and also mm. over here in the in the APEC region. Mm. So now, you know, speaking of this heightened awareness, um, corporate leaders are now very aware that they need to take sustainability, sustainability issues more seriously. You know, you see what happened with the Joint Committee on Climate Change, um, uh, the JC3, as well as the recent mandatory climate-related financial risk disclosures based on the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures uh, aligned application guide from 2024 onwards, right? So how does this impact the current risk landscape in Malaysia? You know, where is there... Uh, a need for climate-related or environmental risk disclosures among enterprises? Yeah, so all of these initiatives, right, and Bank Nigara is pretty active, right, in, in driving those initiatives under the JC3 uh, program. 
it all comes back to, you know, the investment appetite, right, for companies that have proper ESG strategies and practices in place. Hmm. Uh, what we see on a global scale, and, you know, Asia Pacific is not an exception to that, is that um, financial services companies, whether it's banks or insurances or asset management companies, uh, do kind of prioritize their lending uh, appetite, right, to companies that are so-called ESG friendly, that have mm -hmm. a clear strategy in place, that have clear targets, transparency in measuring those, you know, those targets. Um, and that's something, obviously, that starts impacting enterprises, uh, because if you don't have it in place, you might not have access, right, to the right type of uh, funding that is required to run your businesses. Mm. But it's not just, you know, the enterprise, it's also the extended ecosystem, right? Every enterprise, uh, every company has a third party, um, you know, ecosystem in place. Everybody works with certain business partners. So it doesn't only affect the ESG strategy of a particular company, but it also, is, you know, impacts the business ecosystem that companies are actually operating in. Yeah. So it's kind of a an effect that's kind of impacting the complete value chain, right, of, of companies uh, involved. So, Michelle, where do we begin then? You know, how do enterprise leaders, how do they get a holistic view of their risk landscape? And, and where do they begin? Yeah, so that's a very good question, uh, Orian. It's not an easy one, mm -hmm. right, because if you want to get a holistic view there's a few things that you need to consider. So an holistic view on risk, maybe 10 years ago, was for most companies defined as you've got your standard enterprise risk management, mm -hmm. and that comprises typically of a certain category of risk elements. What we have seen, you know, and that's also uh, kind of accelerated through the, the pandemic, is that the complexity of risk, as well as the, what we call the velocity of risk, has tremendously increased. So today, uh, risk practitioners need to get a view not just on classical enterprise risk, but they also need to look at, for example, the cyber risks mm. right, that has emerged uh, over the pandemic uh, in a very, very significant way. They need to look at how much risk do actually our third-party business ecosystem bring with it. Third parties can get hacked. What does it do for my enterprise? And now, obviously, ESG is kind of, uh, you know, the latest on uh, on the menu. You need to be aware, right, of where is your risks related to ESG and maybe falling behind in certain ESG targets. How, how does that relate to your business? Mm. And that's what we call the complexity of risk. Risk has, give, you know, has gotten a lot more faces over, you know, the last, uh, I would say, three years. The second thing I spoke about velocity of risk, right? Risk is not something that you assess once a year anymore, mm. right? It is also not something that you assess maybe once a quarter anymore. If you want to make business decisions, right, uh, well-informed based on certain risk profiles, risk has to become almost a, a real-time topic, right? And risk can happen at any point of time. Risk never sleeps. It could happen today. It could happen right the moment you do your risk assessment. It could happen one day afterwards. And hence, you know, the, the real-time character of risk has become a lot more important to drive business decisions. Now, in order, you know, in order to manage that all holistically, 
the first thing that enterprises need to have in place is what we call an an overall uh, GRC framework, mm. right? It's a set of processes and practices and control procedures that manages uh, risk and compliance across a company. And that could be across multiple countries that the company is, in, you know, is operating in across multiple business units, but also across the different layers of the company, all the way from the board of directors, you know, to the normal, the normal employees. So that's the first thing that companies need to have in place. The second thing that companies need to have in place is then a automated system, a piece of technology, right, that supports that holistic uh, GRC uh, risk uh, framework. Mm. And that's something which is, you know, a, a lot of companies are still finding it very challenging. In Malaysia, for example, we find a lot of companies are still operating manually. Um, you know, based on spreadsheets and, you know, emails and, mm. you know, it. Uh, what, what we see is that used to be something that is still doable in a world where you have maybe risk as only one aspect, maybe just enterprise risk and where risk needs to be measured maybe on a quarterly basis or maybe even on a yearly basis. Mm -hmm. But in a world where risk has so many faces and in a world where, you know, risk needs to be something that you have a view on on a real-time basis, the manual way won't work anymore, right? So you need to start looking for technologies that, number one, is kind of, you know, supporting the, the GRC framework that you have in place, but also, you know, a piece of technology that allows you to centralize all your risk-related data that brings a significant amount of automation in, you know, in collecting risk, and that gives you some real-time reports about, you know, your risk positions across the different, the different categories. And I think that's something if you want to manage risk in a in a holistic way, then those two elements, having that framework and the supporting technology in place is absolutely key to success. Right. All right. It is time for us to take a quick break for some messages. But when we come back, we talk about Malaysia's carbon neutrality goals and what this entails for enterprises within the country. All that and more happening on Resource Centre. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. Breathe freely, Malaysia. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You are listening to Resource Centre. This is Audrey Raj. On the show today, we are talking about the next big development for businesses. We're talking about ESG and we're doing that with Michelle Fayen, Managing Director of Metric Stream in the Asia-Pacific region. Now, uh, Michelle, Malaysia, um, we aim to achieve carbon neutrality by the year 2015. What do you think this entails for enterprises within the country and how can businesses in Malaysia um, do their bit to contribute to that goal. Yeah, so that's exciting, right? I think that was part of the New Year's speech, right, that uh, your PM uh, delivered. So that's, that's, I think, excellent news, not just for Malaysia, I think, but also for the global uh, landscape. Mm. And I think Malaysia, from, uh, you know, our uh, perspective, uh, is absolutely on the, on the right path. So the commitment to 2050, um, I think also the commitment to the Paris Agreement, right, to reduce uh, the greenhouse emissions, you know, from 35% to 45%, you know, increase the targets over there. 
There have been a couple of studies, you know, in the last year. Um, I think PwC conducted a, a survey in which 94%, that's a staggering high, of the, you know, uh, public listed companies in Malaysia actually said that they have an ESG, you know, strategy in place. So I think all the indicators are there, right, that Malaysia is on, on the right path. So that's, I think, the, the good and the exciting news. Now, obviously, I think for that to happen, I think companies, you know, need to work together with the local authorities in a very close and concerted way and need to be committed, right, to those targets. Uh, without commitment, those targets won't be achievable. So commitment, I think, is an absolutely key topic, right, for companies to consider. Mm. Now, if you want to set targets, you want to have commitment to those targets, you need to make sure that you have a you know, a strategy, an ESG strategy and a plan, an executable plan in place. I think that becomes kind of core to deliver to those, you know, commitments and targets. And that means, right, for companies in Malaysia um, that have already gotten a strategy in place that they need to continue executing on it. And for those companies that don't have a strategy in place that they really need to start thinking about putting a strategy right in place. And what is important is, you know, what we are still seeing in many companies is that sometimes it is very dispersed in a company. So some companies say, hey, I only need to report on my ESG uh, posture. And they give you once a year a mm. disclosure report according mm. to certain standards. What is important, I think, for companies to succeed is not just to, you know, to do the necessary, which is reporting, but to also make sure that they have a, you know, a very clearly defined target in all of the ESG metrics in place and that they got, you know, the systems and the tools in place to track according to those targets and to obviously solve the issues, right, as they come, as they come along on the, on the road to, to, to success. Right. Now, Michelle, you know, speaking of um, ESG strategies and having the right tools, we know now that these ESG discussions need to be happening in the boardroom. What can the boardroom do to prepare for the coming ESG wave? You know, could you share some examples of ESG frameworks that, that enterprises can implement? Yeah, so I think also in the boardrooms, right, we see significantly increasing numbers of ESG being a topic, mm -hmm. right, and a, a fixed and an important topic on the boardroom, uh, board meeting agendas. I think last year there was a survey conducted in Malaysia that, uh, you know, across ASEAN that kind of stated that 64% of boardroom members said that, you know, ESG is, yes, that's a topic that we have as an important and fixed item on the agenda. So I think that's, and that number is increasing. So that's really good news. Mm -hmm. I think what we are seeing at the moment, right, in terms of the ESG standards, uh, there are a few in the market. So besides, you mentioned earlier, uh, TCFD, right, which is very focused on uh, climate-related uh, issues. But we also see in the region and globally, GRI, Right, as one of the standards, Global Reporting Initiative, that's what it stands for. And SASB is also something that, you know, some of the uh, the banks have adopted. Uh, SASB, Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, is very active in this space. And hence, you know, any of these three standards, or maybe even there are some new upcoming ones, right, is something that companies can kind of uh, pick on depending on, you know, their, their area of focus. 
Now, I think our view is that there's still a lot of dynamic going on in terms of the standardization, right? Currently, I mentioned the three most common. There are new standards coming up. So I do see over the next couple of years, some changes, you know, in those in those standards. Mm. I think for for board members and companies, it's important to make sure that whatever strategy you put in place, whatever tooling you put in place to support that strategy, that you are not standard dependent, right? We have, um, we have a client in the ANZ region um, that actually has the obligation to report to all three. Mm. And the reason why that is so is that they operate in multiple countries and they have multiple business units. Right. And hence, depending on country and the business that a company in is in, you might select one or the other standard, right? So the way that I look at it is probably it's also not just one shoe fits all. It's going to be, you know, a collection of standards that is there for companies to choose. Um, the choice will evolve over time. And companies need to make sure that when they put that strategy together, and the tooling supporting it, that they remain flexible, right, in implementing one or multiple or maybe even, you know, new uh, frameworks in the future. Right. Now, I also want to talk about leadership, Michelle. You know, how do leaders ensure that ESG practices and, and values are aligned to the enterprise's risk culture? What role does leadership play in, in, in that? And how do they ensure that those values are aligned? Yeah, so you lead typically by example, right? That's what we, not just for ESG, but that's kind of uh, general good business practice. Um, and I think what we have seen is that ESG is not a topic of, for example, a marketing department. Hmm. Many companies have marketing tasks with uh, ESG disclosures, right? And typically what you see in those companies where just just a matter of, one single entity, right, or one single function in the company looking after ESG is that those companies do indeed report on a certain ESG footprint. They are not making any progress in terms of, you know, improving on their goals, their ESG goals or their targets. So if you want to take ESG seriously, you need to involve everybody in the enterprise, Right? It is not just the people that are kind of tasked to look after ESG, which companies have different functions you know, to execute that. But it's also making sure that the employees on the ground right, are conscious about the ESG targets of the company and the way that they can contribute right, to uh, achieving those, those ESG targets. And, you know, what we are seeing uh, with many of our clients is that more and more Right. The leadership is involving what we call the front line, mm. which is the employees on the ground. Right. To kind of be responsible for targets uh, related to, to ESG, but also pick up certain risks. Right. That they kind of witness and pass it then to the right people in the enterprise. So I think from a leadership perspective, that culture of making sure that it becomes everybody's responsibility and not just a subset in the company is absolutely crucial to success. Michelle, I'm also curious about your thoughts on the outlook for the regulatory landscape for ESG in the Asia-Pacific region. 
Yeah, so that's something also where I see a lot of positive movements, right? Um, I think we see increasing number of initiatives, right, from the regulators uh, over here and all of the countries, right, to take uh, ESG as a very serious uh, topic, right? So, for example, if you look at Singapore Exchange last year, right, they kind of, you know, have uh, some very strict rules, right, to get TCFD reporting, uh, based reporting, right, uh, for particular industries, and they will add more industries, right, by by next financial year. Um, in Hong Kong, the same thing. The Hong Kong Monetary Authority, you know, has strengthened uh, their requirements based on TCFD. I think JC3, right, in in Malaysia uh, from Bank Negara is a strong is a strong indicator, right, that uh, there's a lot more focus on it. So I think. From a regulatory perspective, things are moving are moving in the right direction, right? And we will see more initiatives coming from those regulators uh, in the region. In you know, in my discussion with some of the banks over here in Singapore, um, you know, the MES is even piloting you know ESG related tool landscapes and reporting landscapes, right? Mm. That banks can participate in you know, as part of that program in order to reduce the efforts, right, related to ESG reporting and, and compliance, right, to, to MES. So lots of interesting initiatives across the region. Um, obviously, I think, you know, regulators, that's my view, regulators is just one part of the puzzle, right? That's kind of what people need to do to comply to the rules of doing business. Right. But... The more important part is actually around um, the demands that clients or business partners actually impose or even employees mm. impose on companies, right, with respect to uh, ESG posture and, and strategy. Um, so that's something that's not coming from the regulators, but which is an important piece for companies to consider if they want to do, you know, business in the future. Excellent point. Now, what about the role of risk professionals? You know, how do you see the role of risk professionals? Uh, you know, like like um, Metric Stream evolve with the ESG wave this year and beyond. Mm. Yeah, so risk professionals they are in a you know in a time of change, <laughs> right? I was talking about you know in my earlier example, uh, let's say ten years ago, a risk professional would manage enterprise risk. It would be managed, you know, pretty much within a very uh, defined team in the company. It would be, let's say, a group risk team. And it would be something that they would do maybe on a quarterly or maybe sometimes even on a once a year basis. Mm. Right. So that was kind of the world 10 years ago. If you look, uh, if you fast forward to today's world, um, as I said, right, risk has become a multifaced uh, type of phenomena. And the velocity of risk has increased tremendously. So risk professionals these days do not only need to look at, you know, the classical enterprise risk topics. They need to be familiar with the cyber risk pieces. They need to be familiar with third-party risk. They need to be familiar with ESG risk, Mm. which is even a more complicated uh, matter than I think all the other types of risk that I mentioned. Uh, so that's something um, they need to get uh, a lot more domain knowledge, right, in risk areas that they used to be not familiar with maybe five years ago. Mm. Um, 
The second thing that we are seeing is that, you know, in the past, risk was very, risk views were very internal based, right? So you have a certain view and it's basically an inside, an inside out view uh, to either your company or even third parties. These days where we see a lot of, uh, uh, you know, the trends moving to is people uh, getting outside views. So there are a whole bunch of information providers out there that gives you external information on certain risk elements. So, for example, Dun & Bradstreet offers financial information, financial stability information about companies. Mm. So if you assess, let's say, a third party, um, you can actually get information about the financial stability of that particular third party. In the world of, uh, let's say, cyber, uh, you have companies like BitSight that give you a cyber uh, risk scoring, you know, of any company on the planet. Mm. In ESG, you've got EcoVadis, which is a company that is focused on providing risk information and risk and, and profile information from an ESG perspective. So by subscription to those information services, you get actually an outside view, right, about a certain a certain type of risk or a certain you know partner that you want to work with, and I think that's something that we see companies picking up more and more because it completes obviously mm. the overall view on you know on risk elements. Right. And the third element that we are seeing a shift is you know where in the past maybe you know risk was just as you know defined as a, a core activity of a uh, a group risk entity within a company. It has now become a lot more holistic, right? I spoke about the frontline people. I spoke about business units. Um, and that's kind of, if you want to get a real-time view on risk, you need to get it as early as possible um, to get that real-time view. You need to get more connected to the other parts of the company. You need to be closer to your business. You need to be closer to your employees. Mm. So that's a third shift that we are seeing happening in the market, right, as we speak, where those... Uh, risk functions get a lot more connected, right, within the different layers of uh, of the company. I love how you've just set up my final question, Michelle. You know, speaking of that third shift, um, and I'm asking for your average member of the workforce in the Asia Pacific region. How how does improved employee satisfaction contribute to ESG compliance? You know, this is part of that third shift about getting everyone involved. It is the entire ecosystem that needs to play a part in ESG compliance, right? So, you know, how does your, how does improved employee satisfaction contribute to ESG compliance? So I think there are two ways of looking at it, right? So first of all, as we discussed earlier, I think people, you know, on the personal side are getting uh, more aware of the importance of ESG, specifically in the areas, you know, of climate-related risks. So if you see from an employee perspective that your company is on the forefront, right, of contributing to those to those uh, targets that is set, then you obviously are proud to talk about it, you know, uh, with respect to your social, you know, your social uh, circle. Mm. So I do think that, you know, that 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 element of employees getting more aware and convinced that ESG is a main topic and the connection to the company, you know, having this as a strategic, uh, one of the strategic goals and the way that, you know, the, the, the employee can contribute to those targets 
is definitely going to be a big, you know, a big role in overall, uh, you know, satisfaction of the employees working for a company that is, you know, as I said, on the forefront of running ESG. As compared to a company that is maybe on the negative part of it, right? And then, you know, in your social circles, you will be questioned about, hey, the company that you're working for, I heard, mm-hmm. right, that they are not really very much supporting of the environmental issues. I think that topic will become even more important, right, as we mm-hmm. move uh, move forward in, uh, in time. Right. Michelle, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. For our listeners tuning in right now who'd like more information on Metric Stream and what you do, is there a website that we can point them towards? Yeah, sure. Um, it's uh, There's no surprise, right? It's www.metricstream.com. Uh, there's a lot of information. You will find also a lot of information on ESG, right? Which is uh, a very hot topic within, uh, within Metric Stream as well. Right. And if you missed out on any part of this show, you can go look for the podcast on our website. That's bfm.my. You can also find all our podcasts on the BFM app that's available on the Apple App Store and on Google Play. I've been speaking with Michelle Fayen, Managing Director of Metric Stream Asia Pacific. My name is Audrey Raj and this has been Resource Centre on Enterprise BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.